Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. A brand new week of bringing clarity to the chaos is here. This week, Carl Gallups will take us on a whirlwind tour through the pages of Scripture. Later this week, we'll debut a brand new segment designed to help you and your family combat the attacks of the Great Deceiver. And today, we have an inside look at spiritual warfare with Dr. Ken Copley and Dr. Greg Patton. Be looking in your mailbox this week for our brand new Timely Tools catalog. Timely Tools is full of the latest books and DVDs from Watchmen on the Wall. If you'd like a copy of our new resource catalog, Timely Tools, just give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. Friends, thank you for your continued prayers for Watchmen on the Wall and Southwest Radio Ministries. Now, let's join Greg Patton and Ken Copley as they discuss spiritual warfare and how you and I can overcome the great deceiver. Honored once again to have Dr. Ken Copley, author of The Great Deceiver, with us today. Dr. Copley, what is Satan's desire for the Christian? The devil's desire for Christians is that they not grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he cannot keep us from being saved, he can sure work overtime in keeping us from becoming productive believers in Jesus Christ. And I've seen where a person will come to Christ, they'll start walking well, and then they get offended in some way. The church, something happened they were offended. Pastor said something, they were offended. Somebody snubbed them, and they were offended, and then they kind of shut down and walk away from reading their Bible and sharing Christ with others. And and then sometime later, maybe some trial or tragedy comes in their life, and they come back to the Lord. But the bottom line is God wants us to walk with Him daily no matter what the circumstances are. For instance, the Lord says we've got responsibilities, and God has responsibilities. And I think one of the Psalms that really stand out to me is Psalm 37, where it says, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Now, there can be a lot of fretting going on because of evildoers in society. And no matter what persuasion you are, you can see evil that's rampant in our culture today. He said, be not envious against the workers of iniquity, those who do wrong, those who sin. Don't envy them. He said, here's the reason for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and they'll wither as green herbs. Then he said, trust in the Lord and do good. That's our responsibility to trust in the Lord. And he says, thou shalt dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. That's God's responsibility. He'll take care of us. He'll feed us. He'll care for us. He said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That's what the Lord is looking for, that we delight ourselves in him. God is so concerned about our fellowship and our union with him. We're united with him. And the enemy 
is the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's going to fight against that relationship. He wants to hurt God through his children, and he hates Jesus, and he knows his time is short, but he does not believe his time is short in the sense that he cannot win. He knows the scriptures, and he says, his time is short, but in his understanding, he still believes he can overcome God and defeat Jesus. This is a real concern. We need to be very aware that he is brutally wicked in this day. He is really, really geared up, stepped up his whole program of attack on the church of Jesus Christ and on believers. Matter of fact, uh, another attack on the believer is the world. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is the attack of the world? The world wants us to love it. Just to fall in love with the world and the things that the world can provide and the things that the world can give us, there's no lasting satisfaction with what we get from the world. The lasting satisfaction is our walk with Jesus Christ, our fellowship with Jesus Christ. So much of this that you're hearing today is available in his book called The Great Deceiver, available at Southwest Radio Church, swrc.com or 1-800-652-1144. Tell operators, I would like to have a copy of The Great Deceiver. So let's get back at it, Dr. Copley. Problems dealing with the spirit world? I know that when we start looking at the enemy, it raises up potential problems in our life. Because the Lord is going to make sure that when things are standing in the way of our relationship with him, he's going to bring those things to light. I prayed many times, Lord, bring everything that's hidden to light in this person's life. I'll give you an illustration of that. I know a young lady that had horrible suicide thoughts. Matter of fact, she planned on how she was going to kill herself. She wanted to kill herself. She dreamed about killing herself. When her parents started praying daily that God would bring everything to light, she would just cringe because the Holy Spirit was saying to her, you're going to have to denounce these thoughts. And finally, she came to the place of doing that, renounced them, and the suicidal thoughts stopped. And the bottom line is we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I was counseling with a young woman one day, and she said, uh, I've got a terrible problem. I'm so ugly. And I said, ugly? Matter of fact, just a couple days before in a dining hall where I was sitting with my oldest daughter, she pointed out this young lady, and she said, uh, Dad, isn't she the most beautiful woman you've ever seen? And I said, uh, now, I got to quote some scriptures. She said, yeah, Dad, you got to do your dad thing. I said, well, the Bible says beauty is vain and a woman of character who can find. And she said, yeah, okay, you did your dad thing. Isn't she beautiful? I said, she is a most lovely young lady. This is the young lady that's telling me she's ugly. What happened? The enemy had convinced her 
that she was ugly. So we went to the scriptures, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and she was able to renounce the lie that God had somehow malformed her in a way that was totally unacceptable. And she was able to tell the Lord, thank you that you have made me in a way that is acceptable to you, Lord, and I will accept myself. I saw her about a year later and she said, I've never doubted that I am accepted in the beloved. I am acceptable to God and I have no need to worry about my looks. Some years ago, I was counseling with a lady that had horrible problems with anxiety and fear. Matter of fact, it was so bad she could not leave her own home. And so she couldn't go to church, couldn't go to the grocery store. And they bundled her up and brought her to my office. And we sat down and uh, she said, I I have panic attacks when I go out in public. She said, it was horrible for me to get over here today. I said, I understand. I said, you're afraid of dying. Oh, she said, I'm so horribly afraid of dying. I said, you're a Christian. She said, oh, yes, I love Jesus. I know him. He's my savior. I said to her, well, if you died, where would you go? Oh, she said, I'd go straight to heaven. I said, that would be awful, wouldn't it? She said, oh, oh, no, no, that would be wonderful to be with Jesus. and Oh, my, the glory of heaven. But she said, I got another problem. She said, I've got two growing sons who are not believers, and I don't want to die because they will probably never get saved. I said, well, this is really interesting. I said, I was reading my Bible the other day, and it said there's somebody else that does the saving. She said, oh, that's Jesus. He does the saving. I said, that's correct. So she did some heavy-duty praying against the lies that had been inserted in her heart and soul, and she walked out feeling really, really good about herself. Next Sunday, she went to church, and then several people heard her testimony, and she was invited to go to several churches in the area and give her testimony how God set her free from the fear of death. That's the work that the Lord does. The Bible says in Hebrews that there's some that live their whole life in bondage because of the fear of death. The Lord does not want us to walk in fear. He wants us to walk in faith. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. A snare was used to snare a bird. Matter of fact, I grew up on a farm in Minnesota, and we used to snare gophers. We would put this little wire snare over their hole. We would sit there and wait, and when the gopher would stick up his head out of the hole, we would snare him. Now, that's the kind of snare that the fear of man can bring. Why do we not fear man? Because we fear God. We don't need to fear people. It was on John Knox's grave was written, here lies a man that so feared God that he never feared a man. In spiritual warfare, the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 12, going down through verse 18, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So our battle isn't really with people. Sometimes people will say, people hurt me. Really, not so much it is 
the enemy working through people that bring this pain and suffering. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That pretty well encompasses the whole demonic world. It says, wherefore, on the basis of the fact that we are in this really heavy battle, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, it's really interesting, the evil day has the article, the, not every day is an evil day, but some days are an evil day. I know a fellow that I had the privilege of counseling with, and uh, he had a problem with cross-dressing. Now, that is a unique problem, a highly intelligent man, very much a professional. And he woke up one morning and he just said he felt evil present with him. So he, as an engineer, design engineer, had to go to a school. He needed to get some measurements from a building And he stood outside a door in the building, and he felt an evil presence. And he opened the door, and when he opened the door, here was a large rack of beautiful female costumes. And the enemy said to him, you don't have to put one on, just touch it. And he said, in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I rebuke you, Satan. And he turned around and left and figured out another way to get the measurements. That was an evil day. So he said that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Not every day is an evil day, but some days are an evil day. And he said, having done all to stand, then stand, therefore. And here's how we stand. Here's how we walk. Having your loins girt about with truth. That's the truth of the Word of God. That's saying, I am going to believe the truth. I am going to tell the truth. I am going to live in the truth. I'm going to walk in the truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. That's the righteousness that Jesus Christ gave us when he saved us. We have his righteousness. My righteousness is as filthy rags, the Scripture says. The fact is, when God saved me, he did not get a good deal. (laughs) But he got me, and he's working on me, and he's still working on me. And it's having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is interesting. We need good footing. The Roman soldier, and this is referring to the Roman soldier, had cleats on the bottom of their sandals. So when they stood in battle, they had a firm foundation. And our firm foundation is the gospel of peace. We are peacemakers. We help people to make peace with God and to help make peace with one another. And he says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts or the burning arrows of the wicked one. Here's why we pick up the shield of faith, because Satan shoots at our heart with burning arrows. They used to take a long arrow, dip it about a foot of it in pitch, set it on fire. And when you got one of those in the chest, that was a Maylax moment plus. That's the kind of arrows the enemy shoots. So he said you should be able to quench, put out the fiery darts of the wicked one. Those are heart darts he throws at us. And then he said, take the helmet of salvation, which 
we put on the helmet of salvation to protect our mind. And the battle is for the heart and mind, and we need to walk with God. And again, be careful of our thoughts, our thinking. Filter out our thoughts. Are these thoughts scriptural? They may be logical, but do they line up with what God has said? And then he said there's two offensive weapons. He said, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the sword that the Spirit uses. And we pick up the Word of God, and we walk into battle with truth. So again, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, or the Word of God is the sword that the Spirit uses. When Jesus was on the mount and he fought with the enemy, the enemy threw ideas at him, and Jesus threw scripture back at him. And the enemy walked away from that battle defeated. And then it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, the allness of prayer. We need to learn how to pray. Friends, we have a common enemy who, in concert with a host of evil spirits, is extremely active in our world today. As the great deceiver, his power is in the lie. As believers, we are engaged in a huge conflict, battling the devil's lies with God's truth. Ken Copley's book, The Great Deceiver, will open your eyes to the work of the enemy in today's world and will help you unmask the lies of Satan. Order your copy of The Great Deceiver today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order this outstanding book at our website, swrc.com. Staff evangelist Josh Davis comes now to share some encouragement from Scripture about God's love for you, even when we don't deserve it. Two of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Romans 5, 7, and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You may think it strange that these are two of my favorite verses, but let me explain to you what they are saying and the truth contained in them. And perhaps you too would agree with me at the beautiful truth. I believe that these two short verses encapsulate a treasure of gospel truth. The love of God for sinful humanity is just to me one of the most striking and humbling truths to contemplate. Let's illustrate the beautiful picture in this passage. Imagine with me, if you will, a man is about to be executed. But there's a catch. He's been proven innocent. He did not do what he's accused of doing. So you begin to think, what a travesty of justice. But would you be willing to step in and to take the place of that innocent man so he could go free? Perhaps some of you are thinking, yes, I would do that. Now imagine this man is not only innocent, but he's also an upstanding citizen in his community. He's well-known and he's well-liked. His life is about to be ended because he's considered a threat to the powers that be. Again, you think, oh, this is such a travesty of justice. But would you be willing 
to step in and take the place of this good man so that he could go free. He would probably have several people to protest his wrongful execution. In my mind's eye, I can see a group of people gathering together saying, this is wrong. We've got to stop this. Put an end to this. This is so illegal. This is so immoral. Perhaps somebody out of that crowd would be willing to take his place. In essence, that's what Romans 5-7 is teaching us. Part of God's image, I believe, that he has given to us is this strong sense of justice. We don't want the innocent to be wrongfully punished. We know instinctively when something is not fair. Don't you remember being a kid or even hearing your own kids or grandkids saying, that's not fair. But where does this sense of fairness come from if it does not come from God himself? Survival of the fittest say that only the strong survive. It mentions nothing of their morality. Are they good? Are they bad? Yet something deep within us, something deep within our very being knows that it's wrong to watch the innocent be killed for crimes they did not commit. Where did those thoughts come from? God has implanted this sense of justice deep within our hearts. It's part of the image of God stamped upon all of humanity. Let's change up our scenario a little bit and let's use our imagination to suppose the man is guilty. He was caught red-handed, as they say. He's about to be executed for a crime that he's undoubtedly guilty of, and the punishment fits his crime. Now, think about your sense of justice. It's probably not sounding off alarms like it was when we had an innocent man on death row. Maybe you feel like justice has been satisfied since the guilty man is receiving a just punishment for the crimes that he committed. But then comes the most challenging question of all, and this is the truth of this passage that we're getting to. Would you be willing to take the place of this guilty man? I dare say none of us would step forward to take the place of this kind of guilty man. He's caught red-handed. He did it. He broke the law. He's getting a just penalty. He's getting what he deserves after all, right? Listen again to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You talk about mind-blowing. While we, that's you, that's me, that's everybody in planet Earth, while we were still in our sinful rebellion against God, in other words, while we were standing before the just judge of the universe as guilty for the things that we have thought, the things that we have said, the things that we have done, in direct opposition to a holy God's perfect law, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When the question came to Jesus, would you be willing to take the place of this guilty person and make that personal to yourself? Put your name in there. I could say to Jesus, the question was asked, would you be willing to take the place of Josh Davis? He said, yes, I will. His death on the cross was not for the sins that he had committed. 
He was truly innocent, dear friends. He stepped in for us to take our death, to pay for our sins. It is so hard for us to comprehend such a selfless act of love, but that is precisely what it is. As Romans 5.8 puts it, God commendeth his love toward us. Can you imagine a judge who upholds your guilt and then he comes to where you are and offers to pay for your punishment and to take your punishment that you rightfully deserve upon himself. You know, my mind has a difficulty grasping such a concept at times because I, and and I dare say we, expect love to be conditional. We feel like we've got to earn it somehow. I've got to do something to deserve this love. Or maybe the one offering love is going to ask something major as payback. God is going to expect me to pay it back or to pay it forward. But dear friends, that's not the biblical truth. God's love comes to us freely with no strings attached. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. There's nothing we can ever do to pay back his love to us. And he knows that. And he never asks us to even attempt such a thing. Can you think of one Bible verse that tells you you owe it, you have to pay it back? No. All we can do is receive this generous offer. I love the words of hymn writer Charles Wesley that were penned in 1738. And I find it to be a fitting reflection on this passage of Scripture, and I want to share them with you. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain? For me who Him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Tis mystery all the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design in vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine? Tis mercy all. Let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread, Jesus, and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. As he says in the first verse, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? If you have not received the gift of God's love, you can today. Reach out to us and ask us how. Ken Copley's book, The Great Deceiver, will open eyes to the work of the enemy in today's world and will help you unmask the lies of Satan. 
Order your copy of The Great Deceiver today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order this outstanding book online, swrc.com. It's been reported that two-thirds of all suicides are caused by depression. Tomorrow, Ken Copley and Greg Patton will examine causes of depression and what can be done to help those who are suffering. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com.